The A5 Dis team has created a podcast to empower you, the learners we serve. This podcast features conversations that illuminate the topics that are important to you. It is our hope that you will walk away with new tips, tricks, and ideas to inspire you as a whole educator. Welcome back to iTalks for episode two. Today, we'll hear from our learners that are navigating this new COVID-19 landscape in education as pioneers. They share how change has forced us to re-examine our lessons, our learning spaces, and our collaboration with each other. Let's listen in. This is not the first time that society has had to navigate a big change. For example, The Wizard of Oz. L. Frank Baum wrote that a little over 100 years ago, and he was living in a time where society was transitioning from a farming society to the industrial age, and he was not happy about that. He understood that the attitudes and the values of that agrarian society was all about to change, and he was against it. So he wrote The Wizard of Oz as a reaction to it. He thought the transition was awful, so he created the scarecrow and the tin man and the lion to represent the virtues and values of the agrarian society. And guys, I think a lot of people that are listening, a lot of these teachers that are listening, they take on the role of the characters from The Wizard of Oz. You know, they... They're the lion. They don't have the courage to continue anymore with this new age of technology. They're like the scarecrow and they're scared and they don't feel like they have the brain or the knowledge to continue. And sometimes they're often like the tin man and they just are weary. They don't have the heart anymore for education they did because so much has changed because of COVID. There's now a higher demand on technology and they're having to change everything they're doing in their classrooms. It's really overwhelming for them. And for those of us who are pretty tech savvy, it can be a little bit daunting to know that not only is your job having to go from utilizing the tech and integrating the instruction, but actually troubleshooting the tech and having to fix the issues. Change can be scary. But as George Kuros, author of Innovator's Mindset, says, when we embrace new opportunities, even when they seem like obstacles, we can create something much better than what currently exists. It can seem easier to stay with a known bad than take a chance on the possibility of a great new opportunity. Fear can make us reluctant, but it doesn't have to defeat us. I think one thing that teachers are often facing is that they're trying to scramble to move in in an instant from face-to-face instruction into planning digital lessons um, and maintaining their instructional momentum. And I think that Kimberly Whitehead said it best as a teacher at AIT. She shared an example with us um, for creating digital lessons that work for face-to-face and virtual. Let's hear what Kimberly had to say. One of my favorite things to do for students is making hyperdocs. And it sounds like this complicated task, but open a Google Doc and go find the links that you need and put it all in one place. Everything lives in that one document. So every link that the student needs to click, every direction that they're going to need to work through that um, assignment, and then that practice 
practice, the learning, the application, all of that lives in that one document. Having them work through the entire learning cycle in one location has been phenomenal for my classroom because students are able to start and see where they're at. They get that initial interaction with the material and the concepts. And then they're moving directly into a guided application and practice. And then they're doing an extra application where they're doing it independently and they're learning. Meanwhile, I have already put the work in up front. And so I can spend my time during the class walking around and I get to interact with every single student. You know, where are you having issues today? Where can I help you? What concepts do you not understand? Um, how can I help you understand this better? Is there something that I need to do differently? I think one of the key pieces that Kimberly spoke about in terms of her focus and her shift from, you know, planning for just her face-to-face kids, she's actually forward thinking to when those kids have to be quarantined, if she has to be quarantined, or if all of them have to go out due to COVID, that she put all the work in on the front end so that it was able to allow her students to work not only at their pace, but also to be able to ask questions and to get that one-on-one or that small group with her because she's not actually having to stand in the front and teach whole groups. She's already embedded that into that hyperdoc. Kimberly has a really good example of that shift that you were talking about, Adam, where, you know, instead of I'm planning face-to-face, oh my gosh, I now have a handful of kids who are out. Now I have to figure out how to get this virtual. If I go ahead and have that, you know, forward thinking to plan as if they're all out or plan as if it needs to be accessible digitally. And then if everybody's there, it's very easy to, you know, transition to a face-to-face method rather than starting out with a face-to-face method and trying to transition to digital. And I think one of the things that our digital integration specialist team has come together and said is that everybody this year amidst the COVID pandemic is a virtual teacher. We have to start thinking that way. We have to start integrating technology in the classroom so that when we're moving it outside of the classroom, when that time comes, it comes with ease. And I think it's just like you said, she's putting that work up front and a lot of people are scared. They, they say, I don't have the heart or I don't have the know-how to do this. Going back to our Wizard of Oz characters, they, they possess those characteristics. But if we put the work in at the forefront and we start thinking about it at the start, we, we can plan a lesson just like we always have for face-to-face instruction. We're just putting a new spin on it. Well, and I think that also, too, brings up a good point where, um, you know, if we tell teachers to try and shift their focus, a lot that I hear is I don't have the time for that. And I think that brings up a, another good point that we're going to listen to that Kimberly hits on. Something to think about, what are you currently doing that the students should actually be doing for themselves. Yeah. What decisions are you making for your students that they can be making for themselves? And that comes from the book Empower by John Spencer and A.J. Giuliani. Also mentioned in episode one. (laughs) (laughs) But it's an awesome book, and it really helps when you're trying to increase student ownership in your classroom. Kimberly Whitehead talks about how her students are becoming more self-sufficient. We need to make our students self-sufficient. One of the first things that I did when looking at this is ensuring that my kids are self-sufficient in the classroom 
And I know that when they learn in the classroom, that will carry over into their work ethic and into the workplace when we start placing them. And when they graduate high school and college and we go and get those jobs, being able to figure out what computer problems they're having for troubleshooting. And if they don't understand something, what's the process to figuring it out? I don't give my students the answers all the time and they get so frustrated, but that's when they learn the most. And you start seeing those little light bulbs go off and it's so rewarding as a teacher because that's what we look for. We want those intrinsic rewards where we are seeing the light bulbs go off and the students are making those connections. And so being self-sufficient is a huge thing from how I assign my assignments and my work to how I interact with my students. They are very self-sufficient and that lends itself to if we were to go out of school or to go virtual, they know exactly what the expectations and the standards and the procedures are because it's the same in class. So is she the one asking the questions? Is she the one giving the answers? When she provides those opportunities, just little opportunities along the way, because your students aren't going to become self-sufficient overnight. They're not going to develop student ownership overnight but providing those little opportunities along the way will help them as they learn and grow. I think becoming self-sufficient too is moving them towards that asynchronous instruction. When they're out of school, they are able to accomplish tasks without the teacher. And so that kind of leads us right into a conversation that I think we need to have. It's that lingo that's going around the district right now. The DIST team is even throwing out is what is the difference between synchronous and asynchronous instruction? Danae, what is the key difference between those two types of instruction, especially when we're in an e-learning scenario? So when we're talking about synchronous and asynchronous learning, it's important to remember that synchronous learning is at the same time, same place, same time. So when you are in a Google Meet with your students and they log on and you give instruction through your Google Meet, that is synchronous learning. Asynchronous learning is when they're doing independent activities. You're available and you are there to help them if needed, but they are getting their learning on their own time. Um, A lot of us that have taken higher education courses, a lot of those courses were asynchronous courses because you did not have to necessarily be with the teacher at the time that you were doing your assignment or your work, your reading, whatever it was. You were actually able to do that on your own time. Right. You see synchronous A lot less than I think you see asynchronous. You see teachers using the synchronous strategy if they're wanting to build community or if they're in a live discussion or they need some sort of interaction with students. Synchronous is good if you want to do check-ins or hold office hours or have Q&As, but most of the learning from the students, especially if they're self-sufficient, can be done asynchronously. Asynchronous and synchronous, that verbiage, you didn't really hear a lot of it until COVID hit. And then all of a sudden we're virtual and we're having to hold class face-to-face, but virtually, or we're having to kick out lessons to students. Was there asynchronous and synchronous teaching prior to this virtual age? Or is it just something that can be applied to teaching virtually through the computer? So in higher education, Mm -hmm. synchronous and asynchronous, it is very commonly used because you have online classes. And so K-12 is a little bit behind on the verbiage of that because we've always been synchronous. Right. That system didn't have the flexibility right. built in like it does now. And we've had to do that because, because we've had to. So, yes, it's been around. 
in my classroom, if I'm differentiating with my face-to-face students and I'm not teaching a whole group lesson all at the same time, if I have done something like Kimberly, where maybe I've done a hyperdoc and one of those links is me actually teaching the content when they're ready for the next steps, that would be considered asynchronous because now everybody's not receiving the same stuff because they could be on a different part of that lesson. I think you're bringing up a great point that asynchronous and synchronous are not necessarily digital learning terms. Mm -hmm. It can be face-to-face synchronous learning or asynchronous learning. So the terminology of those words are just the way that the learning is happening. It is not so much that it is a digital thing or a face-to-face thing. Think about the kindergarten teacher who creates stations and centers And maybe they're even in a Montessori format where they're letting the kids discover that's asynchronous learning, but we call it stations and centers. You know, it's, we're putting new labels on things. Even as you push students through, you know, whole group, then to guided practice. Yes, that's flowing in that synchronous learning. But once we move them to independent, the next day they've mastered the skill and you're, you know, extending and, you know, you're stretching your GT students and you're stretching your students who even are behind. You've moved that into asynchronous learning because you're putting the responsibility on them. But I think it's just quickly got tied to technology and we had to realize this is something we have been doing. We don't have to scramble. We just got to put it in a new format and a new way. Right. We're just re-examining our lessons. So let's think about when we do all go to e-learning um, and we're using Google Meet. Someone said earlier, Google Meet is an opportunity to have that synchronous instruction, even though you're all in different places. Olivia Wallace, an eighth grade algebra teacher at McCants, talks about how she moves her students through a asynchronous approach with recorded instruction so that they're ready to come back rocking and rolling for a synchronous style instruction when they're face-to-face. Let's hear what Olivia has to say. Hi, my name is Olivia Wallace. I teach at McCants and I teach eighth grade math algebra course. One success I've seen with students who are quarantined is um, I record my lesson on a daily basis so that students who are out can keep up with our lessons in a current topic so that when they come back to the school, they're right with the flow and they're right on ready to go with whatever assignment we're working on. They also keep up with the work online there. Some tools that you can use for synchronous or asynchronous learning is Google Meet and definitely want to use Jamboard within that. Let's hear from Bree Ray, an Anderson District 5 Virtual Academy teacher about how she uses Google Meet synchronously and asynchronously. One of the main things that I use to help my students that reach out to me for help via email is I create a Google Meet with them and I do a Jamboard. So I share my screen with them and I am showing them step-by-step while explaining it, how to do everything on a Jamboard. And then not only am I just doing that in the moment, but every Google Meet that I have with maybe just one or two students, I record the entire meeting and I save that Jamboard and post it into that class's Google Classroom so that every single student who might have the same question can get help with it. Another thing that I really like doing is recording videos of myself on Jamboard using Screencastify so that I can push it out to students if I'm noticing that all of the students in a common subject are struggling with the same topic. I like how she mentioned not only did she pull small groups and then once she's done with that small group and she posts it into the classroom now that same material has turned into an asynchronous material for students to get at their leisure when they need it so i think that's a perfect example of how one tool can shift from one piece to another 
based on the needs of students. We talked about that a lot, you know, in episode one, what are the needs? What's my main goal? And then the tools and those strategies, in this case, asynchronous and synchronous to get my students to those end goals. Right. And I think just like we mentioned in episode one, we talked about flipped classroom. You know, that's pushing us to that you know, which is a form of asynchronous instruction because we're putting the learning out there for the student as we would normally do in a synchronous environment. But then the student is responsible for assuming the learning and then coming back and applying it collaboratively with their peers um, more in a synchronous environment. So I think Bree really pushes us to think about flipped classroom um, and how we can do that but that shouldn't just stay with the e-learning environment. I think that's something we can carry far beyond this pandemic. And I actually just had this conversation with a teacher yesterday. And I was mentioning, you know, if you're, we're pushed for time, we're really trying to figure out the best way to organize her schedule. And I was like, well, why can't, let's, let's push it to them, have them watch it. And then that way, when they're in class, we can really do the hands-on things that we, we really want to do with them. And it's, it was just the, my kids won't do it outside of school. It's not going to get done, which brings us back to Kimberly's making themselves sufficient. And well, I think all of this is having us is forcing educators to reexamine our learning spaces because learning does not have to happen in the four walls of your classroom. It can happen anywhere. I remember that there were some teachers who even took their classes pre-COVID days outside or to the media center or a different space for a different learning experience. Yeah, you know, speaking to those new learning experiences with the pandemic this year, you know, it's harder to get outside of the four walls of the classroom like we've been talking about. But a tool that's really helped teachers to change up those learning experiences for students is Google Meet. And we've heard from several different teachers and educators of how they're utilizing Google Meet to provide that different learning space for their students. One teacher, Chris Turner from TL Hanna, shares with us how she made it work. Another really cool thing that I've done is students have joined the class. I just did this on Friday. I didn't think that any of them would join, but several of them that are quarantined actually joined the class. I thought that would be awkward, but it really wasn't very awkward at all. Chris explains perfectly why it's so important to make students self-sufficient and to let them take ownership of their learning. And it's also showing our students that they can still get what they need, even if they're at home. We not only see this at the high school level, but we're seeing it across all schools, different teachers trying out different strategies. And we have another audio clip, one from Tiffany Osborne, an admin at Glenview Middle. She talks about how we're using Google Meet to prevent students from missing work while they're out on quarantine. Hey, everybody. Um, here at Glenview Middle School, uh, we have been using Google Meet to live stream class with students who are at home. Maybe they're in quarantine or perhaps they just missed a day of school but still want to be caught up with instruction. One strategy that we use is we make sure that the teacher laptop is facing um, the teacher and the smart board and not the rest of the classroom. So that helps not only with management, but also um, confidentiality. So the students at home only see the teacher, not everybody else who's in the class. So I love that Tiffany talks about how we can bring students in to the classroom who aren't already there. But the big question goes how do we keep students being collaborative when some are at home 
and some are here at school because that collaborative piece is so essential. So when students are home, we often find that distance learning leads to isolation. During the pandemic, I know I was in a classroom and I asked the students when we came back, how many of you um, missed your friends? And they were like, me, me, me. And it's because that they often describe that experience as being lonely and disconnected when they shifted into that online environment. And so I think now as teachers, we have to reshape that and think, okay, we moved them to all this asynchronous learning, but we forgo all of the collaboration that we have in our face-to-face instruction. And because when students aren't collaborating with their classmates, they miss out on new perspectives, they miss out on new ideas, new approaches to solving problems, but they also miss that opportunity to develop critical soft skills like communication, problem solving, and creative thinking. So we've got to establish some collaboration in the classroom, and that can still exist when kids are learning at home through Google's newest feature, which is breakout rooms. And I was privileged enough to help out a teacher with some breakout rooms and got a couple of positive emails back that I want to read. Kelly Williamson, a fourth grade teacher at Varennes Elementary, said that she tried breakout rooms while most of the students were working independently on an assignment in Google Classroom. She added the early finishers to a separate room from the ones that were still working. Her quote, it was amazing. She had posted a virtual math escape room challenge that she knew would be really tough, but was able to meet with the early finishers as they worked on it, and they were able to talk through their thinking, again, that collaboration, and they could take turns presenting their screen so that they could all discuss the part that they were on. And then she says, when time was up, I just closed the groups and moved on. It was, quote, easy and so much fun to be able to interact with a small group from home, and she appreciated the DIS team's help. Another one... Christine Boswell, who teaches ELA at Southwood, said that her students, she had two students who were on quarantine and they were working on group projects when they went out. So what do you do with that student? How do you continue that learning when your lesson plan says they are doing collaboration, they are doing group projects? And again, she said, we were using Google Meet breakout rooms to include two absent students who were joining from home. In her simple words, it's working great. So I think we all need to try Google Breakout Rooms as a way to include our students, but continue with those small group instruction, whether it be for guided reading, guided math, or just these collaborative projects. Another teacher that is using um, Google Breakout Rooms as well is Chris Turner from T.L. Hannah, who's an English teacher in the Freshman Academy. I've seen her use Google Breakout Rooms face-to-face and virtually. Let's hear from her. Hi, Chris Turner. One of the great things that I've seen is Google Meet, and I downloaded an app called Breakout Room, and if you're in a big area, you can use it at school. Um, I've ordered mics and headphones, gaming headphones, so hopefully we can actually do this in the classroom. It puts the kids in groups, so we can do group work while at school, but also um, when they go virtual, I can put them in groups and they can have group discussions and I can log in with them. So these are called breakout rooms. It's a extension that you can get. So Danae, her clip was before she was actually able to utilize it. And she was actually talking about the extension because this was before Google had come out with their breakout rooms. But we actually didn't get to hear about how it went. But I think you were there for it, right? When she actually got to do it. Yes, I've actually been in the media center when Ms. Turner was in there with her students. And um, at this particular moment, she had students who were quarantined and she had her face-to-face students. And so what she did was she put 
the students in the breakout rooms along with the students that were virtual um, and face-to-face and it worked beautifully. And so that shows that it doesn't just have to be a tool that you use for e-learning, so to speak, or your face-to-face. It can be used collaboratively even in the hybrid model, which she had to use during while she had students quarantined. Now, before you go using this in your classroom right away, she does mention that she did have to send those groups out um, out of the four walls of the classroom into the different learning spaces that TL Hannah has for students because if you do it in your classroom, you'll get that feedback and they won't be able to meet with each other. And before before we move past that, I can I can already see, you know, some teachers that might want to try this, but they're like, oh no, I can't monitor them if they're in a different room and space than me. You can hop in to those Google Meets or into their breakout rooms. So you could even log into your own meeting a couple times and have one of your personalities inside each meeting so that you can see what all of them are doing, even if they're not physically in your room, you're still monitoring them within the class, well, within the virtual classroom. I think a great way, if you if you ever want to try a tool, especially if you're thinking ahead of time for virtual learning or e-learning, I think it's always a good way to practice while your students are there face-to-face and send a few out in the hall. And, you know, you can practice putting the students in the breakout rooms because, A lot of times what I have seen is that it's not so much the students are uncomfortable with the technology, we're the ones that are uncomfortable with the technology. Mm -hmm. And so in order to get you to that point where you're comfortable and you feel like you have a good enough grasp on the technology to use it in a virtual setting, try it with your students. And a lot of times you can ask them to help you and because they know the technology, they are digital natives. And they don't mind helping the teacher. They do not mind seemingly being the expert of that particular tech tool. So ask your students to help you out if you don't know. They love it. I think one of the things, too, is, you know, teachers often think, well, Johnny's bad. Johnny's just bad. He mm-hmm. he can't handle a breakout room. He's not going to be able to handle this. Well, again, try it. See how it works. But also, in the breakout rooms, you're able to shift groups at any time you want to just by clicking and dragging that student's name it immediately moves them to another room. And so you can monitor and adjust those rooms as you go along. And again, it's something that you may want to get some help with. So always feel free to ask your disc as we promoted in episode one. So for everyone. And I was going to say the same thing. Again, if you know far enough in advance, like a week probably, reach out to your disc and say, hey, do you have this time frame open where you could be an extra set of hands to, to help me with this project or to help me kind of navigate these new waters. And I know on behalf of all the DIS, we would love to be able to collaborate and, and go in and do that with you. You don't have to use the Google Meet breakout rooms just for group work. We've seen an example of using either several different Google Meets or the Google Meet breakout room to let students choose how they want to work on an assignment. So maybe you have a teacher help room or you have an open group room where those who like to collaborate with each other can have that opportunity. But then you've got some students who like to work individually in some peace and quiet so they can go into that quiet group room because, you know, maybe they like to work individually, but every now and then they've got a question that they want to pose to someone so that they can help um, their learning process. But then you've got some that just completely want to 
focus on the work and can't deal with any other distractions. So that's where you can have your quiet room. We're going to post that resource in our episode notes on the site page. Jody O'Neill, a teacher at McCants, is using another collaboration feature right inside Google Meet. During e-learning, many of my students joined our Google Meet and actively participated using the chat box. Students can begin to collaborate and have a dialogue, kind of like a back channel chat almost, while the instruction is going on, but also they can get their questions answered by the teacher inside of the Google Meet. And you know, that brings up a good point that we hadn't mentioned yet is those host controls, because those are, are new too. And the host controls actually allow you to turn that feature off and on. So again, putting the learning in their hands, making them self-sufficient, holding those expectations of this is how we utilize it. I want you guys to have it. I want you to have those collaborative conversations back and forth, um, but teaching them how to use it the right way. And if it's not being used, use use your host controls, turn it off. When they earn it back, turn it back on. And also, I know we're talking about Google Meet and the breakout rooms, but let's not forget our old friends, Google Docs, Google Slides, Google Drawings. Those apps are created for collaboration. You can put your, you can have your students share that document, whatever app it may be, and they can collaboratively work together synchronously or asynchronously. I know a lot of times on our, on the disc team, we share out things and we're all in the document at the same time, typing stuff, adding things. And so don't forget that your students can do the same thing. As Google has moved from G Suite to now Google Workspaces, a lot of the times now you're able to pull in those Google Meets right inside the dot that you're collaboratively working on. And so thus you have tied all of these things in together. But let's not forget we have another collaborative resource from Google, and that's Jamboard. Jamboard has allowed for not only a whiteboard to be kind of presented to students, but allowing them through turning on who has permissions to edit and who doesn't to work. And I was privileged enough during our last phase of e-learning to pop into Kayla Smith's classroom, fifth grade at Varenis. And one of the things that she was able to do was she was presenting open-ended math questions on a Jamboard and students were posting sticky note responses collaboratively in the document. And one of the things when I went to her and told her just how proud I was that she was using Jamboard and she was taking that initiative I said that it wasn't the content that you were teaching. I said, but it's that you created dialogue and academic discourse during live sessions with your students. And I said, that is something that we feel we can't do inside a classroom that's virtual. But she was able to do it effortlessly as students were arguing their answers back and forth. No, that can't be right. I think she was coming up with different ways to make 81 or whatever um, in a problem. But they, the academic discourse that she created and the fun that the students had with it was all attributed to Jamboard and her efficiency to use it and the way that she had already tried it in her classroom prior to e-learning. As we close Navigating Uncharted Waters, we would like to leave you with one final thought from Kimberly Whitehead. My name is Kimberly Whitehead and I teach at Anderson Institute of Technology. I'm an agriculture teacher. Some of the things that I have been using for navigating these waters. First, I really started with, I need grace. I'm a human and my kids know that 
they need grace, I know that I need grace, and we are giving all of the grace to each other because sometimes technology doesn't want to cooperate. Sometimes the lesson that we put together doesn't come across the way that we need it to. And so the very first thing that I have told my kids is that, you know, this is something we've never done before. And we need to give each other as much grace as we need because we've never had to go in and out of school or we've never had to figure out how to do things on only online. And so grace has been the very first thing that we have really wanted and needed to give to each other.